only when we find ourselves in pressing circumstances or even life or death circumstances and situations that we really come to see and know that we are children of God and we don't need to be afraid. Many months ago, I looked into the eyes of a woman who had been told that she had to have a life-altering procedure. She needed a liver transplant. And many of you ministered to her, prayed over her, went to visit her. We brought her need before the church and we saw the Lord provide a liver and we celebrated. And then we watched uh, as she was in recovery as her body was trying to adjust. And we prayed some more. But every time I looked into the eyes of Miss Maddie, whether before she got the liver, after she got the liver, I never saw fear. I saw hope, courage. And I see that woman in the house of God this morning. Miss Maddie. Love you. Love you. Never saw fear. I never saw fear. I never saw fear in her face. And it's only because she's a child of God. And she knew whose times, whose hands her times were in. Now, I don't know what you did when we weren't around. I don't know if you turned your face to the wall like King Hezekiah did. I'm sure you did, but his spirit has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. Girl, you are all right. Ha, my God. My God. Y'all don't mess with me right now. See, last week we had those testimonies, and I know everybody in here could have had one. And so that's why we capped it at 25. Uh, but somebody said that we want to do that again. Uh, we we want to keep testifying about the goodness of the Lord. And so, yes, we will do that again. Uh, for those who are visiting, we last week we were declaring what the facts were that we've been told. And you'll see how it fits <clears throat> with this sermon and where we've been. But then we were able to declare about how faith in God was able to produce miracles um, that turned the facts around. And so I'm so glad I serve a God like that. Who, Although I live in a fallen world, he's able to still do exceeding abundantly above anything I could ever ask or imagine. That he's still able. So turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, help me preach. 
You're the same God that I cry out to during the week asking you to help me to be a husband. I ask you to help me to be a father, to help me to be a friend. I ask you to help me to be a servant. I ask you to help me put this flesh to death daily throughout the day. I, I ask a lot of you. And so, Lord, it's no surprise to you that I'm coming and asking for help to preach. And, Lord, if I need help to preach, I know your people need help to hear. So help us now to hear what the Lord is saying through this mighty word of God. And Lord, we all need help to apply the things that are for us to apply. Lord, we're not asking too much of you because you've got all power. You can do anything. We have faith today. When we leave here, may we leave here not only encouraged because we've been in your presence, but may we leave also better equipped because we've been instructed on how to wage a good warfare in this life. Show us who we are and why we are as we wrestle with where we are in this fallen age. We give you the glory and we thank you that you did not leave us without a witness. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word and thank you for every spiritual blessing we have. For we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If I really had time, I would tell you, brothers and sisters, how much I am intrigued by Jesus. Oh, he intrigues me. And just when I think I've got him figured out, he makes a right-hand turn and throws me off the trail. As soon as I think I've got him encapsulated in a nice little frame where all my systematic theology and all of my understanding from seminary and all the books that I've read and all the great theologians I've been able to encounter and talk to, as soon as I think I just about got God understood I realize that the more I know, the less I know. And it's almost as if I was holding a grain of sand on an endless seashore. God is amazing. Have you ever read stories in the Bible that you know you've read a couple of times? But you read them again and it's like you've never read them before. That's because this book is living and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God has a way of revealing himself to us because even if and even when we exegete the scriptures properly to get a sound understanding of what the original authors meant when they wrote what they wrote, even when we can never exhaust the scriptures fully, we can never get a complete picture especially of Jesus and and I'm intrigued of him when I read this episode with Jairus and his daughter in Luke chapter 8 we've been in this for a few weeks we're going to be in this for a few more weeks because I just can't let it go when I read the story of how this man 
who had so much influence and wealth, had pain in his life, and he took that pain to Christ. And you saw how Christ ministered to this man. Uh, as I read the story and as we keep unpacking the story, I want to let you know that when I see how Jesus walks, that's how I want to walk. When I read about how he talks, that's how I want to talk. I love how he operates in this passage because I see a Savior who is not so busy that he can't listen to a man that has a problem. And while he gets up and goes, we see a mobile Savior who's willing to get up and go rather than just expect people to get up and come to the church. He got up and was going to this man's house. Man, I want to be like that. I want to talk like this. When that man gets afraid and Jesus is like, don't be afraid, only believe. She's going to be made well. The belief that he had in his mouth. Back in the day, Gatorade told me that I should be like Mike. No, no, the Holy Spirit is saying today, I want to be, I want to be like Christ. Oh, that sounded pretty good. I want to be like Christ. As he's walking through the village and he's heading to Jairus' house, he gets interrupted by a crowd. And a woman who has an issue of blood who reaches out and touches him and he stops and he ministers to her. And the thing about Jesus is that he has this wonderful combination of operating in great spontaneity, but everything he does is very calculated. And I can't understand how it all fits together. There's a spontaneous moment in the middle of this episode with Jairus, but yet Jesus still remains very calm and sure and calculated concerning what he's going to do. So when they come to Jairus before Jesus even gets to Jairus' house and say, hey, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus immediately stepped in and said, don't listen to that. She will be made well. So let's pick it up at verse 51. Today, I want to talk about the inner circle of Jesus. There's so much in this passage Again, you can preach this and preach this for years and never even hit the tip of the iceberg. That's any passage of scripture. But right now, I want to talk to you about Jesus' inner circle of friends from this passage. Because in verse 51, it says, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. So Jesus had a lot of earthly relationships. Again, Tom won't permit me to talk about how he ministered to thousands of people, how he ministered to hundreds of people, and they knew his name, and how he was specific to even send out 70 disciples at one point, and how Jesus had friendships with 12 men who ranged from being fishermen to tax collectors, and, and these were Galileans, men who were not trained and educated well, earthy guys. So he had 12 disciples, followers. 
and they took the yoke of this rabbi upon them, and it was a yoke of grace, and it was a yoke of peace, and a yoke of truth. It was a yoke of the kingdom of God. And the yoke of Christ upon his disciples was easy. That burden was light. As opposed to what other rabbis were putting on the people, what Jesus put on his disciples, again, was so gracious. And he had preachers. These guys would become preachers. So he had preachers for friends. But he also had a man named Lazarus for a friend and Mary and Martha for friends and Luke's gospel also tells us how there were women who helped provide the physical substance that Jesus needed. And so they would travel in packs and caravans and, and there would be people who would give of their substance to help Christ. And so he had friendships, a lot of friends, a lot of friends. But when you look at that group of 12, even within that group of 12, there was an inner circle of three. And even out of that group of three, there was one. Now, this message is not about trying to imitate to the T what Jesus did. No, this is about trying to get the concept of the fact that if the Son of God, who needed nothing, but when he became the Son of Man, realized he needed friends. As God, he needs nothing. He's inexhaustible, he's self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-existing, all of that. God doesn't need anything. He is everything. But when God became a man, the mystery of the incarnation, when the Son of God was born through the Virgin Mary and he walked the earth as the Son of God, but also as the Son of Man, two natures inextricably bound in one person, it's a mystery. He was the God-man. And as man, he needed other men and other people in his life. He needed relationships. But he also had the wherewithal to know that just because I fed 5,000 people, not counting women and children, which means that it could be 20,000, although Jesus may have had 20,000 friends on his Facebook page, he realized that all those people aren't your friend. I wish I had time. But even the Son of God simplified life. Because life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. A man of many companions may come to ruin. It's not about how many friends you have. It's about who you have as friends. And if Jesus saw the importance of having an inner circle... May we learn from this so that we may apply accordingly in our lives. So I want to know who's in your inner circle. Whose inner circle are you in? Well, let's just move quickly through a couple of principles here because Jesus models three things for us about having an inner circle. The first thing about inner circles is that your inner circle will be with you in your everyday moments. These are people that just kick it with you and you kick it with them. You not only love each other, but you like each other. 
You don't have to be around each other. You want to be around each other. This is not obligatory. Man, this is truly Philadelphia, man. Love, brotherly, sisterly love. And as I mentioned, without being robotic, Jesus was specific and strategic about everything he did. Without being robotic, he was still very specific and strategic about what he did, including ministry. Verse 51 again, when he came into the house, this is Jairus' house, a dead girl is inside. He permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. We call them the inner circle and the father and mother of the girl. So he's very specific. Now, he left nine guys outside, took three dudes inside. And you say, man, why did he do that? Once again, he can be very free and spontaneous, it seems to us, but he's very calculated and specific in what he does. So why did he leave nine out and take three inside? Well, number one, the house was packed. Jairus, being a synagogue ruler, probably had a house that was larger than most because he had means. And so his house was full with mourners, mourners. Now, back in that day, you would pay mourners to come to your house to mourn. So it was a lucrative business. Now, Pastor, just a few moments ago, they found out the girl had died. So how is it that mourners are already in the house? Because we're going to see that next week about mourners and the week after that. But they just got word she died. How'd the mourners get there? Well, the mourners were already there because of her circumstance looking bleak. They were already there. They were just waiting for her to die. Jairus had enough faith to say, I'm at least going to get to Christ because maybe he can heal her before she dies. But before he can get back, she dies. So the mourners are in full effect and they're all in the house because they know that he has money. So we're going to mourn because that's what we do traditionally and culturally as a people. And I'll also get some money in my palm for mourning and crying at the funeral. Oh, don't take a lot. Don't take a. So the mourners were there, but they operated quickly like this because had this been a black family, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes we don't bury as quickly. You know, it may take us a couple of weeks, but they say black don't crack and things like that, and you can stay on ice longer. But in that day, because of the, the climate, and what they were exposed to as far as medically, bodies decomposed quickly, so funerals had to happen just like that. So the mourners are there. Jesus says, it's a bunch of people in here crying and wailing. There's a lot of confusion. Nine of y'all stay outside. Three of y'all come in with me. And then when we go into the room, I don't need to be standing there with the mother and father and 12 preachers behind me. I just need three. Because watch this, I need somebody to see what's about to happen in here so they can leave the room with an oral witness that will lead to a written tradition called the scriptures. Because if somebody's not in here to see what's going to happen, they ain't going to believe it. But I got three of my boys in here, and their witness leads to scripture. So, so y'all need to see what's about to happen so you can go tell it so it can be written. 
But not only that, I got three of y'all in here because I'm specific and intentional with how I train men. I've been training all of y'all. I've been sending y'all out two by two. You've been watching me do stuff, but I'm taking my inner circle with me in on this specific assignments because I want y'all to see what I'm doing because one day one of y'all is going to do the exact same thing as recorded in Scripture. Acts chapter 9 tells the story of when Peter went into Dorcas's room who had died, and he pretty much follows the same prescription that he sees Jesus enact right here in Luke chapter 8. So discipleship more is caught than taught. It's not all cerebral. A lot of it is, man, let me watch you. And so Jesus is intent. He's instructing his young ministers. I remember when Darina's father, you know, who's my pastor and mentor, he would say to me, come on, let's go to the hospital. I'm like, man, I'm on break. I'm, I'm not here to go to the hospital or go visit somebody. But what he was doing was he was the consummate teacher and pastor teaching me. And so Jesus is taking the guys. Now, the thing that I want you to see about this is that this is just an everyday moment walking with Jesus, healing folks, ministering to people. And so his inner circle is with him. And what you need to know about the inner circle and really what Jesus had with all the guys, but specifically with the inner circle, is that they shared moments of affection. And I know there were many comedic moments as well. Don't, don't think they weren't laughing and having a good time out there, laughing at each other and all of that, making noises in the night. Don't think that they weren't doing that. Y'all know what I'm saying? When guys get together, there are noises in the night. And it's not always crickets and stuff. And so I know they were laughing. But they also had affection. And the affection showed up like this in the sense where all of them had nicknames. Oh, what time is it? Oh, man. All of them had nicknames, man. For instance, as soon as Jesus sees Simon, he changes the man's name. Uh, no, no, you're not Simon. You're going to be called Petros, which means rock or rocky. And I'm speaking destiny because I see that although you are a fragment of a man right now, Simon, I know that one day you're going to be a rock of a man, Petros, Peter. And so he gave him a nickname. Hey, Pete, what's up, Peter? Pointed back there. What's up, Pete? I see you, Pete. I can't miss those nice shoes you got on back there. So they had nicknames. And when you get to really know folk, you call them by a nickname. And then there was James and John. They had a nickname, too. And because they had a little temper problem, you know, not, not little John, not the one who wrote about for God so loved the world. Yeah, John liked to blow stuff up. And in Luke's gospel, it talks about how Jesus had been rejected from going into a town in Samaria. And James and John said, Lord, Lord, they, they don't want you to come up in there. I tell you what, how about we, we, we call down lightning, fire from heaven, and blow that place up? <laughs> they were called the sons of thunder. Now, some of us as guys say, I like how that sounds. Yeah, sons of thunder up in here, yeah. But they were guys. They shared nicknames and affection. But not only that, um, they shared rebuke. Because if you're going to live that close, somebody's going to get offended. Somebody's going to step out of line. Somebody's going to say something they shouldn't say. Somebody's going to do something they shouldn't do. Men are going to have some altercations. And when you love someone, you love them enough to lovingly correct them. 
because faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm not going to sit idly by and watch you say or do something that's detrimental to your well-being. So Peter thought he would pull Jesus aside one day and rebuke him. Mm. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks about how he's going to die. He's going to give his life. And Peter's like, wait a minute, Lord, hold on. I'm enjoying this rock star status. I feel like we are a pre-coming of the Beatles everywhere we go. People love us, man. We got power to do kind of, all kind of stuff. And now you're talking about you got to leave us. Hold on, Lord. That can't happen to you. Had enough to pull Christ aside and rebuke him, the Bible says. Now, Pete, we're friends, but you got just a little bit too comfortable because I am the son of God. So the fact that you're going to try to rebuke me and tell me something as if I'm in the wrong, brother, you are in the wrong. So Jesus turned around and rebuked him. And he said, what to him? Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. Now, your friendship has gone to a whole nother level when you call your homeboy the devil. <laughs> you see, when you read these stories, put yourself in here. Think about how real this stuff is. Jesus wasn't saying, you are the devil. You're being influenced by the devil. Because just a minute ago, you were influenced by the spirit of my father who told you that I am the Christ. You got a little too high-minded and then fell right off and said, no, Lord, you can't die. Get behind me, Satan. He went from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. Do I have a witness? Don't even say amen because I know you're out there. Welcome. That's why we need grace. My God. And so rebuking goes back. And even in the episode when... John and James wanted to call down fire. The Bible says in Luke's gospel, it's in chapter 9, that Jesus had to rebuke them for that. And he says, what manner of spirit are you guys? I didn't teach you that to destroy lives. I came to save lives. He rebuked them. So when you have that inner circle, man, there should be not only some affection. Hey, what's going on? And we got nicknames. My brother's sitting here. They gave me a nickname coming up. I did not like that nickname. They called me Bean because my head was shaped like a bean. And so when don't none of y'all call me that. Don't none of y'all call. So, so, so when you love people, you're going to have some nickname, but you're also going to have some moments in your day-to-day -day experiences where there might be some rebuke. Who's in your inner circle? Do you have friends who will lovingly rebuke you? Can you receive rebuke because wounds from a friend can be trusted? But if somebody's always complimenting you, they may be more of an enemy than you're aware. I got to trust you with the scalpel. And I got to trust that you're going to use the scalpel, something that cuts to help heal and not something that's going to stab me. That's why you're in my inner circle. So I can't, I, I, I got to watch who, who, who's that close to me and who I allow to speak into my life like that. And because I know you love me, man, I'm going to listen because how I respond to rebukes says a whole lot about my character. But I also need to know, since neither one of us is Jesus, I need to know that since you can give it, can you also receive it? I ain't got time. A lot of people are good at giving it, 
but the thin skin when it comes time to receive it. This ain't no one-way street up in here. <laughs> we all are fallen, and we all need each other. We all have things in our eyes that need to come out. And so if you help me with something in my eye, I just might turn around and help you with something in yours. Not to be defensive, but there may come a time where because we're close like that, I may encourage you about some things. Oh, that's real stuff. Do you have an inner circle like that? Because sometimes we have an inner circle where we just like to play a lot, but we don't pray too much. We don't talk kingdom stuff. So if your inner circle isn't making you want to be more like Christ and want to encourage you in the things of Christ, you might want to e evaluate who your inner circle is because Proverbs 12, 26 says the righteous should choose his or her friends carefully because the way of the wicked leads them astray. I'll just end with this second point right here. I want to get to the third one. But your inner circle will be with you in your highest moments. Not only in the day-to-day -day mundane things, but your inner circle, they're going to be with you in your highest moments. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Elder Aubrey, this is good, man. So it says, watch this inner circle again. Now, somehow, he moves with these three guys without the other nine guys feeling slighted. There was a level of maturity with them. They all had access to Jesus in their own unique relationship, but only three could be in the top three. So somehow he was able to do that without promoting jealousy, or at least it, not, it doesn't show in Scripture. All of them fought at different times over all other kind of things. But right here in verse 28, it says, Now it came to pass about... Eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Yeah, when you got your inner circle, man, you pray with these men. You pray with these women. They pray for you. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, that means he put his foot in his mouth. That's translation. Verse 34, while he was saying this, trying to put Jesus or other men on the level of Jesus, Moses and Elijah were great, but they're not the son of God. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. So Jesus takes three guys up on the mountain, not all 12. He leaves nine down at the base and takes three up to the top. And during this time, they're there to pray and get into the presence of God. And Jesus is transfigured before them where his robe begins to glow. His appearance begins to shine and the disciples see all of this glory, and it's 
It's a picture of the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so this is a moment where Jesus is on the mountaintop, literally. They went up a mountain, but it's a picture of his future glory where he will reign on a mountain from Jerusalem. It's a picture. And so the guys see Jesus in one of his highest moments. And when you have an inner circle, these are people who not only see you in your highest moments, but they want to see you in your highest moments. They rejoice when you get promoted. They are so ecstatic when you are honored and recognized, when you are on the stage receiving credentials or get a pat on your back or whatever the notoriety is, whenever you have that mountaintop experience in your life, and God allows us to have some of those from time to time. You're in a circle of people who are, that's my girl right there. That's my dude right there. That's my brother right there. That's what an inner circle, because again, Peter was so excited. Look at all this glory. Let's build some tabernacles. It's good to be here. Let's stay here. Wait a minute, Peter. You're tripping right now. Hold on. I know you're excited. Do you have friends that when you get blessed, they get happy? You see, your inner circle is with you because they love you and not because you are on the mountaintop. But fake friends come when you're up and then they leave when you're down. That's just too much to unpack. See, a lot of us like limelight. And some people only come around when the limelight comes. When the limelight is gone, like we'll see maybe next week when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, people are gone. Now, some people come around when they see the limelight and the honor that is bestowed upon you because they're leeches and they're trying to shine in your line. So, again, you got to watch who's in your inner circle. That's why I like how LeBron James has been ordering his business affairs because his A1s have been with him since day one when he didn't have anything before the Range Rover came and, and the championships came and the multi-million dollar contracts came. He had people in his circle with him now who were with him in his circle then. And because he's being blessed, they're getting some of the trickles of the blessings that's coming off of him. Oh, man, can you be happy for other people in your inner circle that when they get a house, when they get a car, when they get a job, when they get a promotion, when they get a husband, when they get a wife, when they have a child, when whatever, can you be happy for people? Or are you the, mm, mm, ah, mm, ah, mm. They don't deserve that. Mm. Let me give you an example. I told you before about my sister-in-laws. There's Alina, Matina, Regina, and then there's my wife, Darina. <laughs> Alina is the oldest, and Darina is the second oldest. Darina got married first. Typically, you know, the older likes to do everything first. And I'm not saying that Lena is bossy, but sometimes Lena likes to do everything first. See, Lena's going to be one of our speakers next month here at the church. We'll talk about that later. So I'll embarrass her now. Lena was trying to go first. 
But there were some dudes that were not qualified. And we had to X them out because God had that space reserved for Reverend Bell. Amen. But Darina got married first. And one of the greatest blessings in my life was watching how my future sister-in-law loved, supported, cheered, rejoiced, cared for, gave of her money to bless her younger sister. Never, I was so blessed by that. And if I think about it too much, Lena, I'll cry. But that shows you a lot about folk in your inner circle. That when you get blessed, they happy for you. Just like 11 years ago, Strong Tower, speaking of uh, brothers and family, 11 years ago, my brother Harold, some of y'all didn't even know I had a brother here, you know, but my brother has relocated from Baltimore, man, over 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago. And so it's a joy to have my older brother here. And I remember on the 10th anniversary of the church, the church was trying to decide what they wanted to do for me. And so there were people who decided, hey, let's get pastor a car because I was embarrassing them with the car that I had. So they're like, let, let, let's get pastor a car. And so um, I got that 300, black 300. And man, I'll tell you what, the way my brother was so happy for me to get that car, I mean, he loved that car. He was so happy to see me drive. He the one told me, get it in black, because I was going to maybe get it in silver. He said, no, nah, man, preachers need to drive black, man. Get a black car, man. <laughs> but when you have people rooting for you, that's an inner circle. Now, Strong Tower, that was 11 years ago. That feeling felt good. I'd like to have that feeling again one day. <laughs> But Amara, we need to go right now. Let's. Well, uh, Elder Clifton Harris, would you come, man? Everyone, would you stand to your feet? We'll keep on with this teaching, y'all. I, I, I can't leave this passage alone. It's so good. Maybe next week we'll talk about how Jesus' inner circle was not only with him in the day-to-day -day moments and in the highest moments, but they were also with him in his lowest moments. And even in that lowest moment, they failed him. Because your inner circle is imperfect. Oh, we'll, maybe we'll get to that next week. We'll see what the Lord says. I'm so thankful for what the Lord is doing. Elder, my brother. As we prepare our hearts and all to close out in all the worship service this morning, let us not forget and all that. We come to the house to be fed so that we can take it out and minister to others. So as we prepare to go to the mission field, let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you and all for what our ears have heard and our hearts have felt. We thank you, O oh Father God, that you reminded us and all that you are amazing. Your grace is so amazing. You reminded us and all that your blood is still covering a multitude of our sins. We thank you, O oh Father God, and all for loving us so much and all that. Uh, not only did you get, forget, you gave, forgave us of our sins and gave your only begotten Son, 
But Lord, you love us so much and all that you minister to our every need and you walked with us in every moment of our life. And so we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you and all for inner circles, oh Father God. And we pray and all that we will take heed of the message that was given us and uh, take, take account and all of, of our friends. And we thank you and all for returning our sister to us this morning, Sister Maddie. Because, Lord, I know she can tell you, tell us about something as we close. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. I know Sister Maddie can tell us about that. And to present us faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Let all the hearts, people of God say amen. 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 Have a blessed day. Okay, we found a key. And so if you, it looks like a house key. So if you get home and you can't get in your house, <laughs> you might need this key. <laughs>